Welcome back to another episode of Raising His Kids. Today I'm flying solo as unfortunately Lawrence had to attend a funeral, but I'm thrilled to have the incredible Jill Barlow here with me. Jill is an American writer of What to Expect When You Weren't Expecting, joining me for a fascinating conversation. Jill Barlow is an American writer whose humor is often lost on Americans, but most of all her mother-in-law. Her debut book, What to Expect When You Weren't Expecting, became a number one new release earlier this year. In this hilarious memoir, Jill chronicles her journey as a step-parent navigating life as a second wife and stepmom with inappropriate laughter and near perfect hindsight. Jill currently resides in Virginia with her family and several pets. Welcome, Jill. Hi, thank you so much for having me. No, thank you. I'm thrilled to finally have you on the podcast. And for our listeners, please grab your coffee or your wine and let's get into it. I have my wine at the ready. I got my coffee. I am a little bit jealous of your coffee, but if I had that at this time of night, I will be up all night. All right. Me too. Me too. It's not ideal. <laughs> uh, I'm excited to finally uh, be on here as well. We've been chatting back and forth for a few months now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was a few months ago you reached out and you wanted to send me your book. And I was like, yes, please send it to me. Because I actually listened to Jocelyn's episode of her podcast when you were on that. Oh, right. Yes. Because I was like, oh, we're having Jocelyn on the podcast. I need to listen to Jocelyn's podcast to like listen to what she talks about. And that was the episode that I listened to. And I was just like, oh, my God, that book sounds amazing. I need to find it. And then I completely forgot about it because, you know, life gets busy. And then you read. When you reached out to me, I was like, yes, please send it to me. I'm excited. But as I said to you, like the whole time I was reading it, I was in fits of laughter. And my husband's like, what are you, what are you laughing at? And I'm telling him, <laughs> like, he's it's, like, a, it's a parenting book. What? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, that shit can't be real. Like, especially the story about your mother-in-law. And he's just like, oh my God. And he's mm. like, that's something my mother would do. That's so funny. Um, yeah. It's funny because when I wrote it, you know, to me, it was also serious, these things that happened to me. And then I was so surprised when I published it, how many people said the same thing that they laughed their way through it. And at first I was kind of hurt because I thought, oh, I really did think I wrote a serious help, self-help book. And my husband was kind enough to point out that there was nothing really serious about it. <laughs> but I think what makes it funny is the fact that we're laughing with you, not at you. Yes, because exactly. Because the shit that you talk about is what we're all going through and it may not be the exact same thing but there's something similar that's happened to us and we're just going "Uh uh-huh yep I know there's so many times I'm just nodding my head going oh my god like is Jill living my life right and I think as women we often try to hide behind the life is perfect facade in my house nothing goes wrong and that conversation about oh gosh, you know, we run a circus here and everything's a shit show. It's, it resonates with so many people that when you do start talking about it, you feel like, oh, I'm actually pretty good, pretty good at what I'm doing. Yeah. And like Lauren and I talk about it all the time. It's one reason why we started our pages because we felt so lost and alone and then we couldn't find anyone to connect to. So we created our pages right. and from there we've connected with so many different people and you know, when, before we started the podcast, we were chatting on an app called Marco Polo. So it's like a video chat app, especially Mm -hmm. because of the two different time zones. So she'd message when she's awake, I'd message when I was awake and it would be 12 hours between each conversation. And then we said to each other, we were talking about like, is, is your bio mom the same Karen that I'm dealing with? Because they're all acting like bloody Karens. And that's where we got the name Karen from. Um, So we refer to all the bio moms as Karens on our podcast because- especially the high conflict ones, right? Right. Yes, that is Um, true. And I, I am lucky because I am not, I don't have a high conflict situation. I have mm a, a low doing situation. So it's, I don't know that it's just as stressful, but it's fairly stressful or it has been fairly stressful to be kind of given the reins. And, and while their bio mom, my kid's bio mom kind of doesn't really want to be a part of much, um, mm-hmm. which is sad, but then she does want to take the full credit for the holidays and the birthdays. And, you know, whenever we see her at events, you know, she yeah. comes in wearing her, her crown. And they, they were things that I could resonate, not just as a stepmom, but as a bio mom as well. So my son's father does the bare minimum to just, just enough to say that he's the dad. He doesn't show up to many school yeah. events. He, you know, has his every other weekend. Um, he takes him for school holidays, but then ships him off to his parents. So, you know, gotcha. my, like it's one of those situations. And then the bio mom in our situation is she likes to wear the crown of I'm the mum, but she also does the bare minimum 
mm-hmm. even though for yeah. the last six years she's had primary care and now all of a sudden we have shared care. We're about to go to 50-50. She still likes to throw around that she's the primary parent, but she's not yes. doing any of the parenting. She's not disciplining. She's not making sure homework's getting done. She doesn't make sure the kids get to school. She doesn't do anything that a parent's supposed to do. And I guess that's where I sort of resonated with those parts of mm-hmm. the book. But for the listeners that obviously haven't read your book, can you share a little <laughs> bit about your unique journey as a childless stepmom practically transitioned into the role overnight? I really did. I uh, I am one of the rare people or women, I suppose, that I didn't dream growing up of having kids. I don't know why. I don't know if it, I, I always blame it on being uh, a like an athlete. It just wasn't something that I really thought about until it was really too late. Um, but I did, even as a kid, I thought, oh, I'm just going to marry a man with a ton of kids. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be super simple. I didn't obviously realize that when I gained my instant family, just how difficult it was. And it really was almost overnight because I moved from my hometown, which is three hours away uh, to where my husband lived with his kids. And they were in a 50-50 situation with the bio mom. And within four months, we had an emergency custody hearing to take the kids full time. And that week it was snowing in Virginia, which means nobody leaves the house. My husband was actually already on a business trip in New York. So it was, and we had just moved into a house. So Mm -hmm. we had boxes everywhere, myself and two kids that I, you know, I hardly even knew their middle name. I am very type A, touch OCD. I was like, this is going to be a breeze. Like how hard can it be? And I quickly found out, uh, it's not only parenting, but it's parenting, you know, two little, little nuggets that are really pissed off about what happened in their lives. And the wounds are just so fresh and, and surprise, now you're going to live with me for a week in a snowstorm. Yeah. And all of a sudden they weren't seeing their mom, which right. that, that just adds and they weren't that, seeing her. it's added complication. Yeah. They're not seeing her and their dad's away and you're practically still a stranger. Definitely was not even practically. I definitely was still a stranger. And I came in with, you know, chore lists and bedtimes. And I came in hot. And I'm sure you read that that was a huge mistake because but I, think I really just came in thinking that I knew what, you know, I know what's best. I'll fix everything. And I, I really needed to wait two or three days for that. But that's something that a lot of us stepmoms do. We come in and yes. I know for me, I think it's also because I grew up in a blended family where my mum was the stepmom to my older siblings and she was in control. She made the rules. Right. She she was the parent. She was the mother of the house. So I came into this like that. And one of my stepkids was really accepting of it. The other, not so much. And we don't know if it's just so right. much the parental alienation or the fact that he's autistic. There's a whole lot of factors, but he gives pushback to that where I had to like connect okay. with like Lori and learn a little bit more about the Nacho method. I don't know if you know who Lori Sims is. I do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I connected with her and I'm like, look, I am at my wits end. And so she helped me take a step back with him because I came in guns are blazing and I made the rules and I had a bio kid of my own and we were all of a sudden living in the same house and the same rules apply for him applied to the other kids and there was a lot of pushback because the kids didn't have any rules they still don't have any rules in their other home right it's tricky and I know like you mentioned the nacho the nacho kids and that's part of why this book was born because you know a decade ago there really wasn't the support groups anywhere. I mean, there still aren't, but at least you can go on social media now and find forums to talk in. So when I became, was initially like, Hey, I'm going to be a stepmom. And I went to my counselor and she did say that, you know, they're not your kids. You just need to let, you know, defer to the bio parents. I think that's amazing in theory. And if it works, I mean, gosh, I would have loved that so many times, but there are so many families in which that no longer works, especially I think in today's world where kids are being signed up for every activity they can be. So you need a taxi driver, you need, you know, moms are working. So if you have a, you know, an extra parent that can pick someone up from school, you know, they come right into play. Uh, and that's, that's kind of why I wanted to write this book because I knew that that realistic, you know, guide was missing from, from our, you know, community of blended families. Absolutely. I just, when I was reading it and just so many things like you spoke about not being accepted by the kids' school, I've had to deal with that. Even mm-hmm. after being married to my husband, I'm yeah. still not accepted because bio mom's in the picture. Yeah. And it's so frustrating. And my husband's like, well, if you're not going to talk to her, then good luck getting a hold of me because I'm at work. And we live and work an hour away from the boys' school because they attend school five minutes from bio mom's house. 
Oh, gotcha. And that's what my husband said to the school. If you're not going to talk to me uh, talk to my wife, then good luck with the situation and goodbye. Um, and right. we've had a, a lot of pushback. And I just, as I was reading your story about that, I was just like, oh my God. So it's just not here. It's not just me. No, no, not, a, it's definitely, no, not at all. I think when I was growing up there, I didn't know anybody that had divorced parents. I mean, I don't think I knew anybody at all. And if I did, they certainly never talked about going to house to house. I think just in today's timing, it's it's just a different way of running a household. Unfortunately, I think we got to, a, you know, this like a 50-50 split is a great idea, except we kind of got there before we worked out the nitty gritty of how is this going to work? Are we going to expect schools to talk to us? Can the, you know, both moms, the bio and the step, have access to medical records and take the kid to the doctor. So we kind of, it's almost like we put the, the cart before the horse. Absolutely. And then there's also where we deal with the fact that in most cases, the women become the default parent. And in some cases, yes, the bio dad just expects their new partner to take on that role as well without having that conversation. Because what, what if you don't want to take on that role? Right. And my sweet husband, I'm sure you remember this, he really thought that once he, you know, handed his kids over to me, that this rush of hormones would come through my body that probably every biological mother gets like when they shoot that kid out. That's not how it works. <laughs> no. like, what am I doing with these people? So and I don't fault him for that. I think that's just, you know, a gender thing where the assumption was that I would come in and be Mary Poppins. And I was more like Karen to start. <laughs> Well, the the high conflict stepmoms we refer to as Karen 2.0 because I have to deal with the high conflict stepmom on my part, but it's a bit of a different situation. She's not involved, but she tried to come in and reorganize custody schedules and the Mm -hmm. way communication took place and stuff like that, but she's not actively involved in any of the parenting, which had me really confused because I was a stepmom being really actively involved in the parenting of my stepkids. And I was like, what's wrong with my kid? Why don't you want to do that? But at that time she wasn't a bio parent. And, but even now after she's had kids of her own, she's not actively involved in the parenting or doing school drop-offs or helping with homework or doing anything like that. So to me, I find it really foreign, but I've had to take a step back and go, you know what? It's none of my business. Right. And that's so hard. And I mean, we all have amazing hindsight. You know, I wish that I had, I wish the light bulb had gone off sooner that it really is just about keeping these tiny people emotionally healthy. And, and being able to kind of ignore all the, the mud that was being, you know, thrown around and, and focus on the kids. Now, of course, that's a great theory if everybody's doing it. But if you've got other uh, parents slinging the mud when you're trying to just do the right thing, it makes it almost impossible to, to know what to do. Right. And that brings me to one of the points. It's not in order, but let me find the point. You wrote in your book about how on the outside, it appeared that your husband moved on really quickly. And Mm -hmm. that resonated with me because a lot of my family and my friends thought that I moved on really quickly and the same thing happened with my husband. And the way my therapist had put it to me is I was on this roller coaster long before my son's father. I just got off sooner. So when I got off the roller coaster was when he got on the roller coaster and it shocked everyone that what, four months after I physically left my son's father, I was now dating a new man. But it was someone that I'd known Mm -hmm. for years. We just connected in a different way. And the same thing happened to him. He moved out of his marital home after two years of sleeping on the couch. But that's something that his relatives didn't see. They didn't know that he was sleeping on the couch or that there was no connection between him and his ex-wife. So we feel that a lot of the negativity that came from other people's perspectives was projected onto the children's for them to form their own opinions. Do you feel Mm -hmm. that when that happened, when everyone's slinging mud, that it impacted the kids and their view of you, especially as all of a sudden four months into you being in their life, you're, you're now one of their primary carers. Absolutely. I, I've learned, I think one of the biggest things I've learned is that kid, the kids see everything. You know, we walk around thinking, oh, you know, they're seven or they're four or they're 10. They, they're not going to notice. They notice everything. And as with you, my husband's marriage had ended years before they actually separated um, in America before you can go from separation to divorce, you have to live in separate separate homes for a year. 
which is silly if you know you're getting divorced, but that's another, that's a different soapbox. Uh, it's, it's the same thing here. You have so, to be physically and legally separated for 12 months before you can apply for divorce. Yes. And that can, it's like 12, one year and one month can a divorce take place after separation, something like that. Yeah. And then it's like another so many months before you can remarry as well, which, you know, that's another oh, thing. Oh, wow. That's another thing that um, shook people because my husband and I got married really quickly after getting together. So, right. What but, they don't see is the long runway that you're on until you actually are together. And that is, that's exactly what happened with us. You know, my husband, I mean, like I said, he was sleeping on the couch for probably two and a half years before we met. And it wasn't that we were, it was kind of like he met me and realized he didn't have to stay where he was. Yeah. He had kept it very quiet from his family for a lot of reasons. Mother is evangelical Christian. Divorce is not a thing that people do. Uh, even himself, you know, I think he he ignored the writing on the wall because his parents were divorced when he was really young and he had a pretty tumultuous upbringing. And he kind of promised his kids that he would never do that to to them. Uh, so yes, when I showed up at my first Christmas, which was, gosh, three months after I moved here, and we all went to his family's uh, Christmas Eve celebration, I, you know, there's no way my kids didn't notice that I was kind of off in the back corner, essentially being ignored, because uh, no one really knew, you know, a like, who's the new girl? And where'd the old one go? Yeah. So I don't know how they wouldn't have known that. I mean, I have a lot more empathy for them now because I do understand that when you divorce, it's not just something that's happening in your own home between your four walls. It does affect those that the families, you know, that live in states away that you only see a few years, but there is no real conversation for them. So that initial shock of, oh gosh, you know, there's a new person here. We don't even know what she wants for Christmas. I have no doubt that my kids, you know, they went with the feeling that the people around them had, they trusted these people. If they, these people were, were leery about this new girl, then they should be too. Yeah. And that's definitely something that I feel my kids have experienced, both my biological son and my stepson's, because there was pushback mm -hmm. from both my family and my husband's family. And the kids picked up on it. And then there's still things that yeah. the older boys, my stepson's, things their mother says that they repeat in our house. So you know yeah. that they're, they're still that's talking about us. They still, you mm -hmm. know, like to throw around and you know, I know Karen, when we were going through court, she we had a family report writer to basically give her opinion on if the boys should be living with us 50-50. And she turned around and goes, well, he had an affair with her. And I'm like, no, we didn't. It was that we worked together. He saw that I got up and left a domestic violence situation. I went out on my own mm -hmm. with my son. And the way he says it is, I inspired him to realize that he didn't have to stay in a miserable relationship for the sake of his kids, Right, that his kids deserve two happy homes than one unhappy home. And that's what prompted him to leave his marriage. Yeah. And I, you know, this is good. I like, not to be controversial, even if you had an affair, like, so what? Your marriage is over. You have to move on and be a part of the parenting team now. You have to be a good steward to your kids as you're raising them together with another, you know, with another woman. Who cares if it started with an affair? Like, obviously, that's not ideal, but so what? Your marriage is over. Like, let's move on. It's not ideal, but the affair happened for a reason. Clearly, your marriage was over. Right. For someone to step out, they were already out. Right. You know, so yep. no, that, that's a very controversial opinion that I also have, but. I, I knew you would have the same opinion as me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like to stir the pot. I, uh, I like to stir the pot too. I just think, yeah, I, it's not that I'm overly confident. I mean, I am confident, but honestly, if my husband now started, you know, looking at another woman, I, A, I know we have a problem in our house already and it's not, not really her fault. And then part of me is like, well, if that's where you want to go, then go. I don't want to be miserable. Right. You, you can't make someone stay with you if they're miserable. Why would you want to live a miserable mm -hmm. life like that? So another thing that you brought up in your book is your experience of how hard it is being the first marriage person when one partner already has the roadmap to what a marriage should be. Yes. Do you feel it was just more your inexperience of being married or do you think second wife syndrome contributed to it? I think... Oh gosh, that's a tricky one. Cause I've always, I've really never 
I've really never posed that question to myself. I thought it was more that it was my first marriage and my husband is a teacher and not actually, but he he likes to think he's a teacher. He loves a good learning experience. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, he had been married at 20 for 20 years at that point. So he Mm -hmm. could see trouble way down the road. And he was trying to do a a kind thing, which was, you know, you're about to get run over by that bus. Let's move. Let's move you or let's move us out from in front of it. And I would push back and push back because I really just had to learn myself. Mm -hmm. So in that case, I think it was more of a it was my first marriage. It was his second thing. Um, It was also I mean, it was a really my first truly adult relationship. I hadn't had a long term relationship before my husband for 10 years. So my, I guess my last boyfriend was 27, 28. You know, the days when you're still going to concerts every weekend and getting up, going to bed at 3 a.m. and getting up at 6. Um, I became a mom at so, 24. So those days were over for me quite early. Oh, I, yeah. So no, you were already finished with that. Yeah. I didn't feel a lot of, as far as the second wife thing, I didn't feel a lot of comparison to what his first wife did or didn't do. Typically, if I brought that up as, you know, I just, sorry, I'm not doing it. You know, you take the little jab. Sorry, I'm not doing it like, like your first wife did. Those were typically moments when I just couldn't like define what I was feeling. So I, I took the, you know, I shot an arrow at him to end the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, I like you, my husband was married for 20 years, Well, I don't know if they were actually married for 20 years, but they were together for 20 years. Cause he's 13 years right. my senior. So he mm-hmm. lived this entire life before me. And even though, like I said, right. though my party years, I was busy off being a mum anyway. I wasn't actually married, but I saw the faults on where the relationship went wrong. So I guess a good thing was that we both went into this not wanting another divorce, basically. So we've had lots of yes. open communication and we talk about the hard stuff. We talk about the uncomfortable stuff. We have, you know, all the conversations that you need to have. We talk about sex, which, you know, my husband said to me, he's like, yeah, I was with her for 20 years and we could not talk about sex. I'm like, really? Like we have the same conversations here. How do you, how do you know that you're giving your partner what they need if you're not talking about it? Like, I agree. So, and I, but I do, I mean, I understand where people are uncomfortable talking about it because that's mostly how we're all raised, but but I'm the same with you. We went into this knowing that we weren't going to, you know, F it up, or at least that was our commitment to each other. I made this promise where, you know, I knew what the kids had been through. So I wouldn't, I would do whatever I could not to put them through that again. And I knew how much I loved this man. And, you know, one of the things I insisted on before I moved uh, to his town was that we have a couples counselor, even though we weren't even engaged at the time, mm-hmm. which he wasn't that excited about. But I mean, gosh, we still go because, you know, it's like taking your car to the mechanic. It's just, you know, take your take your marriage to the mechanic once a month and, and, and they'll keep that communication line open. And I love that. My husband is anti-therapy. Like he's pro-therapy for me, mm-hmm. pro-therapy for the kids, but he doesn't want to do it. And I think that's just, he's got too many childhood wounds that he doesn't want to open that can of worms because he had divorced parents too. But that's interesting. Yeah. I also don't want to push that with him, but the fact that our lines of communication are so open, I've never felt the need that we need to see someone, but I know that if the lines of communication broke down, I would be dragging him there, kicking and screaming, going, we're going to sit in this room until we figure it out because I'm not planning on walking away from this. But yeah, I think that's where it is for him. He's still too emotionally damaged from his childhood and he doesn't want to open a can of worms. And I, I think men, you know, obviously they're taught to just stuff things down, but you know, one of the things my husband said to me early on was, I mean, I love a therapist. I'll go, I'll go seven days a week if I can, but my husband is not interested that much. And one of the things he said to me long ago was he was afraid that if he started crying, he would never stop. And I just, that, you know, really resonated. Like, it's not that he doesn't want to go to therapy for me. It's that he's afraid to, to open that, you know, worms that, you know, he's been carrying around since his childhood. Yeah, it's, and I think that's also just the past generations where men were raised to be men. They're not allowed to cry. Boys don't cry. Whereas as women today, we're trying to raise our sons to be like, you can cry and you can talk about your emotions and you're allowed to feel. And even, even my husband, I think that's why he, he pushes for the kids to go to therapy, to help them work through their mummy and daddy issues coming from divorced parents, because he just doesn't want them to bottle it all up like he has. 
Right. Like he he's ready to be yeah. preemptive with them, but he doesn't want to fix what's broken with him. He just wants to push right. it down and pretend it's not there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so the other thing that really resonated with me was you were stuck on that you weren't having children and then you kind of became panicked if your husband was to suggest that you have a child and you, or if you decided you want to have a child, that he would do that for you, even though, you know, he'd made a permanent decision to not have any more children. And the reason yeah. that it resonated with me was because, so my, my firstborn son was a very traumatic birth. I almost died. He almost died. So I was one and done. And then my husband will openly say that he never wanted kids. He had kids with his ex because she wanted kids. And he felt after so many years together, he had no other choice that he had to have kids with her. And then we had an accidental pregnancy that resulted in a miscarriage. Um, we didn't know we were pregnant until we miscarried. And that sort of changed his mind. And he went, oh, wait, I actually want to have a child with you. And it took a lot of processing on my behalf. Like if, you know, if I was to have another child, I don't want it to go the way it did with my son. So, you know, I had to do a lot of research about like a VBAC because I didn't want to have another C-section. Mm -hmm. But ultimately he changed my mind on having another child. So I just wanted to get your opinion on where you were at with all that when that was happening. I thought it was really sweet. He he randomly told me on our first date that he had had a vasectomy, which I thought was a weird thing to say, but mm -hmm. <laughs> I understood. I understand now that he was already looking well into our future. So he mentioned several times that if I did want to have my own child or children, that he would get that reversed. I think that he was, it wasn't that he wouldn't want another child, but I think he was seeing how much I was struggling with my stepchildren. And in his mind, like he just from the second his kids arrived, he had this bond with them that I wasn't getting. And what that's what he was offering me more than more than the chance to be a mother was that like bond that starts from, you know, bir the birthday. I never it's funny because when I became a stepmom, and my kids were seven and 10. I had no idea how exhausting it was to be a parent. And I missed most of that hard stuff where you're up all night feeding and changing diapers and, you know, they don't even know how to walk or, you know, and all the stages from there to seven. I missed all of that, which is, I mean, probably a lot harder than the seven and 10 that I got them at. No. Um, no so no. I <laughs> feel like, no. Um, that was easy. Give me the I infant newborn any day. Imagine. Oh, got it. <laughs> uh, I couldn't imagine signing up for, for more. I mean, I just yeah. felt at the time so overwhelmed and like a failure and I was never going to get it. And while it was a really sweet thing that he was trying to do, I just, I didn't want to. He didn't, he wasn't, if we were 10 years younger, yes. But, you know, we were looking at 50 and just the idea of starting over with a newborn wasn't something I was interested in. He would have done it if I wanted to, yeah. Uh, but I didn't. I I was going to be too much. I of course I, now that my youngest is getting ready to leave for college, I'm like, well, maybe we should have done that. <laughs> yeah, but it's okay because then you're getting ready for grandbabies, so you get all the fun of spoiling, sending them back, and right, none of I'm the coming to visit you. So yeah, you can come visit me. I've got four kids, right, like, true. and they vary from <laughs> right. So the by the time you come. The littlest will be four or five. Oh, that's fun. So, but we, after we had Miss K, I, I was sort of in the mindset, I want another child. And my husband's like, why, mm -hmm. why do you want another child? And I think it was purely because her birth was healing for me. Like it healed the trauma oh, from so my good. son's birth. And then like a month ago, we went and met our new nephew and I was so happy to give him back that I looked at my husband and I said you know how I've been telling you I want another child yeah no I don't I don't want to start over like Miss Kay's just gone to daycare for the first time she's been at home with me for the last three years she's gone to daycare she starts kindy next year and then school the year after why would I want to hit the reset button right and he he's like well thank god because I wasn't giving you another child <laughs> because like he's <laughs> he's 46. So he's nearing 50. So he doesn't want to restart. Like I am very grateful that he hit the restart button again at 43. But yeah, so I really get that even though I've already had my own children, I get that point of not wanting to hit the restart yeah. button because yeah, no, let's live our lives together and have fun. Yeah. And I think a lot of people might say that's selfish and you should do it. And, you know, I've had one of the things I just despise about telling people I'm a stepmom is when they ask, oh, are you going to have any of your own kids? Oh, you should have some of your own kids. And it's, 
frustrating, first of all, because they don't know why I didn't have my own kids, although there's mm-hmm. no real medical reason, but you know, there could be, but it's, it's okay. Like, it's not selfish to say, you know, I just want to get the last one out of the nest so I can, so I can start traveling or work less or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the fertility side of things, that's something that Lauren and I have both struggled with. So we talk about it a lot. She was, she tried to conceive for over two years. I am fortunate enough to fall pregnant like Mm -hmm. that, but unfortunately I have a dodgy uterus, so it doesn't like to carry children. Like I'm very blessed to have the two biological children I have. And, you know, one thing that really irked me was when I was pregnant and people that even now when they don't know my story and they hear that I have three boys and one girl, they go, oh, you finally got your girl. And it's just like, I'm blessed to have the children that I have regardless of their gender. You know, I, we were 100% thinking she was going to be a boy. And then I was mm-hmm. like, nah, she's a girl. Like just cause the pregnancy was different, but we were prepared that we were going to have another boy because that's what, you know, my husband had already had two boys. I'd had a boy, even though it's really up to him, we just figured, you know, crunch the numbers. It would be another boy. But when people make digs like that, it's like, you don't know anyone's personal story. So you don't get to comment yeah. On their reproductive it's system. It's not okay. Whether it's by choice or it's not by choice, it's not okay to comment on it. Yeah. It's amazing. It is amazing the things that people, I mean, and I do like to think that everyone has good intentions and, and they just don't realize how that might sound. And I'm sure I've done it too. I'm sure I've said some things where people walk away going, has she lost her mind? And I think that's just human nature. We're curious, right? We're curious. Yeah. Yep. But at the same time, like why can't a stepmom call her kids her kids just because they're not genetically related I agree. you know yes and that is why I always use the parentheses around step because I just I'm yeah on paper I'm a stepmom but those are my kids yeah right I went to so with my new job I got to go to the Christmas party last weekend and everyone's like oh you know do you have kids I said yeah I have four and they're like oh my god you've got four kids and I only clarified it to some people that asked because they're like wow you look really good after giving birth to four kids and I was like actually only birth two but I, I could have just gone thanks but I didn't but my stepkids are my kids you know yes. and I didn't birth them but they're my boys and I love them I don't treat them any differently and you know you hear all the time and the different stepmom coaches out there they're like you can't love your stepkids like your own I'm here to tell you that as a bio mom you can love your stepkids like your own because each mm-hmm. of my children I have a different love for. And you talked right. about your husband wanting you to have that instant bond with your own child. That doesn't always happen. Like right. like, like I said, Big K's birth was very traumatic and he was put on my boob like a few hours later. And I'm like, who is this kid? Like, oh, goodness. Yeah. where did this kid come from? And I really struggled to bond with him. And I don't know if it was the birth, but then I had other factors like uh, living in a DV situation with his father that contributed to sometimes I can't even stand to look at him because all I see is his father and I have to remove myself from that situation because he's yeah. hit that preteen stage and he's got his father's attitude. Mm-hmm. And I have to remove myself from that, that situation. That is so hard. It yeah. is so hard. And sometimes people don't understand that. But if you love a child, you can still love them like your own. But then I'm not I'm not saying that there's stepmoms out there that don't love their kids like the step kids like their own because mm-hmm. you know everyone's different everyone's story is everyone right. yeah and I think that's interesting what you mentioned about the sometimes the bond doesn't happen anyways and that is the bond did not happen between my youngest our son and his bio mom and I do think she probably had severe postpartum almost immediately upon giving birth to him because you know the stories they hear about her you know pushing him away and only being near him for breastfeeding sort of is a signal that like something went awry with her, you know, her mental health, you know, so who knows, who knows if I would have bonded or not. I also had some pretty big concerns about, you know, what I, I've had spikes of depression before. And what if that came right after I gave birth? So mm-hmm. yeah, for me, it was a pretty easy decision to say no, but I do think you have to be careful because you just don't know anybody, anybody's history or why they made the decisions they made. Absolutely. Not that we can't talk about it, but gosh, why not just ask, you know? <laughs> yeah. And don't be so straightforward. Like, you know, you could even go, you know, uh, are you planning on having your own children or do you like not having your own biological children? Right. You, ask, you ask the two questions together rather than just going, mm-hmm. when are you having your own children? It's like, well. Or the I, other. I was going to say, why can't another these kids favorite, be my 
Right. Exactly. Another favorite of mine is, oh, so you're not their real mom. Yes. I get that all the time. It's just like, I'm still their real mom in this house. Like I posted a reel just the other day and it's like talking about my affirmations that I'm resilient, I'm thriving, and I am yes. the mother of my blended family. Like in this house, I am mom. Do my kids call me mom? No. Half the time, Miss Kay doesn't call me mom because she's too busy copying her oldest brothers yeah. and calling me Tony. Mm -hmm. So you know, you know what? I'm still the mother of this house. They respect me as the mother of this house and I am their father's wife and I am in charge and I do do the motherly things for them. But at the same time, when it comes to my stepsons, you know, I have had to take a step back and I ask them, go, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to come volunteer at your school for this? Whereas for my son, I just rock up and I do it. But for my stepsons, I ask. And if they want me there, great. If they don't want me there, I go, okay, fine. Not going to do that. I'll go do something for myself, right? Go get, go get my toes done. Exactly. The last question that I have for you is that in your book, you talk about struggles the that most stepmoms would read about and not along because they too have been there, including the assumption of simple transitions, realization, which is what we've talked about so far today, and the kids' emotions. Besides therapy, what do you think got you through? I, I mean, I'm really stubborn. <laughs> I mean, I just, I take my promises seriously. I think I heard a quote, I want to say it was like year three of our marriage. And I was reading a book, another book, and it was talking about blended families in America. And it said that blended families have a 70% like higher chance of failing than traditional families. So basically you're going to get divorced if you're in a blended family. And then the next line was, unless you make it to the five-year mark. And at that point, your chances of staying married forever just like skyrocket past traditional families. When I read that quote, I saw that five-year mark as this beacon in the future. And I knew that if I could just get there, then, you know, I was going to feel like I wasn't climbing uphill anymore. Mm -hmm. It's also when I realized that there was a book in my life and that if I could just get to that five-year mark, then I could be a person who, you know, left something for the stepmothers that were coming behind me. Yeah. Because I felt like I didn't have an ally. I felt like it was being a stepmom was the secret thing that nobody talked about. And I wanted to change that. So I was, you know, it sounds like, a, it sounds like I'm saying like, I just wanted to make it work so that I could write a book. That's not it at all. I just, I saw what our family could be. I knew what it would be if, if we could just get, you know, over the hump. And once mm -hmm. we got over the hump, I mean, it was like night and day, all of a sudden it was just, you know, that you could feel this weight being lifted from us and we knew we were going to make it. I mean, I, I, I take my promises seriously. And I, I made a promise to those kids that whether I stayed or went, like we were going to be okay. If it became so difficult and unmanageable that it meant I did have, we did have to separate, you know, I wasn't going far. I would be in an apartment down the street. Um, but obviously the hope was that we would make it. And, and we were just, I mean, it was just pure determination and grit and working hard and having the conversations that we didn't want to have and, and not keeping any secrets. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's. No, I love it. And what you said about like, it was, writing, it was a lot of work. Yeah, oh, absolutely. What marriage isn't. And especially when divorce has already been there in the past, you know that you need to work harder to make sure that it's no longer an option. Right. But what you were saying about having an ally and then reading your book, when I was reading your book, I had this like thought and I was like, I've been waiting till I recorded with you to talk about it, but how, awesome would it be if we could get a bunch of stepmoms to write like it, their worst stories about like their darkest days anonymously and we put it into yes. a book so that a oh, I think that would be amazing a bunch of anonymous stepmoms writing their stories sharing their stories and so that every other stepmom to come knows that they're not alone that we've all been through it and sharing that was my thought I thought how amazing would that be I think we, we should do that? it yeah awesome we should do it I, I and I think that's that's what we're talking about is changing the conversation. And that has been one of my goals is we've got to change the conversation. There are more blended families in my country in America than there are traditional families. By like, it's like a 60-40 split. Why don't we get the airtime that traditional families do? Absolutely. That's not, you know, that's not okay. You know, they just had this big family values conference in Nashville in Tennessee and I mean, every, I was just so annoying. I was trying to be the, you know, the drip on the stone. Every week I'm sending an email. Hey, what about the step families? Where are you going to showcase them? You know, never 
heard back, but it's a bigger population than traditional families. We have to pay attention to it because we want these to succeed because families are already damaged from the first divorce. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to do whatever we can to hold that second marriage together. Absolutely. Like, I don't know what the statistics are of blended families in Australia, but I know at my son's school where there's like over a thousand kids, at least eight families are blended families. Mm-hmm. Like that that's a high number. And that's probably just the one the that's probably just the ones you know of. That that's that just to... absolutely. They're just yeah. the ones that I know of that are blended families. And imagine the ones that aren't out there. Like I know that there's, you know, several blended families that from girls I went to school with that had kids when they were teenagers and they're no longer with their first kid's father and they've remarried and, you know, blended families are more normal than nuclear families these days. So we do need to talk about it. So we should talk about doing that, getting like a Stepmoms Anonymous book. And we should we, do that. I also we, think a, a cruise a cruise group for stepmoms would be a great idea. Yes. How good. A stepmom cruise, like just anything, oh. even like a spa vacation, meet somewhere tropical. Yes. Like we can all go to yes. Fiji. Fiji's cheap. Amazing. It's cheap for Americans too. All right. We'll do it. Make it happen. So we can go to Fiji and we can just sit on an island. There's an adults only island there. We could go to an adults only island and it's li- then we're literally away from kids for a week. What could go wrong? Don't bring your, don't bring your phones. <laughs> <laughs> no cameras allowed (laughs) oh that's so funny um all right so I have just two listener questions and I don't know how much insight you have into these and your story by the story that I know of but maybe you have some insight for these stepmoms so the first question is how do you deal with the constant hate or changing plans and refusing to go by the court order. Oh gosh, it's that's a tough one because you have one op- well you have two options. One is to to turn your life upside down every time so that there's no, you know, no drama and hate or the mm-hmm. other one is now you're going to be the bad guy because you're, you know, keeping the child from the bio mom, I'm assuming, um, mm-hmm. based on the question. Um I think that one of the ways and this is kind of thinking in like, what is the, I'm trying to think what the phrase is, it's like reverse psychology is make your, your kid's availability to the bio mom more open than the court order might suggest. If the mom's given a 50, 50 split on those weekends that aren't hers, let her know like, Hey, if you want to see him this week, take him out to dinner. You can, you know, give them all the opportunities they can to see the kids. Because then if you have to say to your kids, like, look, I know bio mom's calling with these brand new plans that are on the schedule, but you know, she had the time to do it last week and she couldn't, we have to stick to our own plans. Mm -hmm. If there is flexibility, use it as much as you can. You know, unfortunately, a lot of times you do have to grin and bear it and then save the the flat nose for when it really, really is a hill you need to die on. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that we do. Like I've always, and like you said about keeping it open. So my son goes to his father every second weekend for three nights and I've always left it open going if you know you want him on the other weekend let me know we can sort something out we can swap weekends or you can just have him and there have been a few occasions where his family have been doing something on his off weekend and he goes oh can I have big K and unless of course it's something that we've had planned booked we've bought tickets to or hit you know something like that I'll go yeah sure whatever otherwise I'll go well unfortunately we've already bought tickets to this and but I won't just go hard no I'll go our things on from this time to this time so you could have him from this time to this time or you know if our thing's a nighttime thing I'll say yeah that's fine you can have him during the day just make sure he's home by this time because we have plans that can work with the like a bio mum as well you know a big thing that I have always liked to set forward is that my son isn't living in my life. I'm living in his life. So it's our kid's life, right? We need to revolve around them. We need to do what works for them, what's in their best interest, because this is what their schedule looks like. We need to fit to their schedule. I 100% agree with that. And I think that is something that's often forgotten is that it really is about the kids. And, and that does, as a parent, mean that you have to make some hard decisions that might make you unhappy, but maintaining that emotional health for the children, um, I think is super important. I think, you know, the headbutting breeds headbutting. And sometimes, you know, two sets of parents or two, uh, two parents, they just start kind of picking to see what, you know, what they can say to piss the other one off. And it might be a schedule thing where, you know, just dropping last minute plans in a schedule just to see how far they can push it. 
But if you can approach it from a wide open, hey, we're flexible mm-hmm. place, it kind of takes the argument away from them because yeah. now they're so used to you <laughs> saying yes that it's like they've lost they've lost their fight. They don't have anything to fight about anymore. Exactly. Exactly. It's you just reminded me like with the other parents, like nitpicking is we've recently had an issue where my husband's starting a new job in the new year and his office is going to be based two two hours away from the boys' school. So he thought he would kindly approach bio mum and go, hey, I'm hoping, you know, with little Jay approaching high school, you might reconsider moving the boys' schools so that they can attend a school halfway between our two homes. So there's a school that's 20 minutes from her and 25 minutes from us. And mind you, we live like Mm -hmm. 50 minutes apart, right? So this school would be ideal. There's a bus service that can pick them up from our houses and take them to school and vice versa. So it would make transitions really easy, just making sure they get on the right bus. But she sent back an email saying that I, as the stepmother, should reconsider my choices and it is my responsibility to make sure that I'm picking the boys up from school and turn around and said to him that if he needs to reconsider his career choice and she wanted to spruik that apparently her husband was offered a resort manager job of a th- and part of his salary package was a three-bedroom apartment that he had to turn down for the boys. And my husband responded with, I'm sorry that our children are such an inconvenience to you. If you and your husband want to go live your life, that's fine. The boys can come live with us full time. We're not saying that the kids are an inconvenience. We were just trying to make things easier on everyone. But she spun it into this whole- Especially the boys. (laughs) She just spun it into this whole thing about how we weren't prioritizing the boys. Like, mind you, the kids go to school five minutes from her house and- She's not getting the eldest to homework club. She's not letting him go to tutoring of an afternoon. The youngest is rarely going to school because he protests and says that he doesn't want to. So you want to say that we're not prioritizing their education, but you're not doing what needs to be done. And they live close. You like when they're with you, they're closest to the school. Shouldn't it be easier right. for her than us? Like, you know, I dropped them off at 7 a.m. this morning. I would start- and that just sounds like she wants to, she just wants to be angry and yeah you know what I mean like she just wants to be angry and right instead of having a relationship with their children which is where it will start to fall apart later as they start to understand absolutely what's happening big jay's already seeing you know he's turned around to me and he goes tony you you do more for me than my own parents. Like dad's always working, but you make sure that I go to tutoring. You're you're helping me with my homework. You pick me up. You take me to football practice. And I'm like, yeah, mate. I said, because that's what parents do. And like, he's already seeing the things that where his mum won't let him go to football practice and she won't let him stay at our house if it's more convenient for him to get to football practice. You know, she'd rather him just not attend. And he's starting to see that. And he's 13 and a half. Like she's really starting to her need for control is going to drive a wedge between her and the kids yeah and that's where it's so sad because it was so easily preventable really it's easy just work as a team we yes we don't need to live in each other's pockets we don't need to live side by side but how about we put their school and their activities halfway between the two homes so that there's less strain on the kids they're not getting up at 6 a.m to get to school on time when they're with us things could be easily resolved but she just has this sense of control which i know a lot of stepmoms out there can relate to that a lot of the karens are needing a sense of control over things so right we just need to like they're happy to let you right yeah they're happy to let you rate their children but they still want to they still want to look like they're the ones making the decisions and absolutely so the best thing that as you know, as step parents that we can do is just go with the flow and try and let it have as little impact on the kids as possible and just not let them know your opinion or feelings on the situation. Yeah. I think one of the things that helped us the most, and this is going to sound terrifying to many people, is we started having monthly dinners with um, bio mom. So it was myself, Mm -hmm. bio mom and my husband. Uh, She never, you know, remarried or dated, but if she had, that person would have come along too. But that gave our kids a sense of united front to where they started, you, you know, how they go back and forth and and they tell one parent one thing and then they go to the other house and tell that parent a different thing. Yeah. You know, those things dropped. The communication improved between bio mom and us because it was like we were having an employee manager meeting once a month <laughs> and saying like, this is what's on the docket. What do you have? Okay, great. We're square. Good. Good to go. And then yeah. it, it it lessened. It, it sort of took away that space where she could come back and say, oh, but I forgot to tell you. And honestly, you know, now, of course, 10 years later, where we're in these this much healthier place, I mean, 
mean, the kids, they call it, you know, for the trifecta now, if, um, if the three parents are talking, they know something's up, somebody's in trouble. Yeah. And, you know, I guess the thing for my bio son is he, he knows that his father hates me. Like his father and stepmother have made it clear to him Mm. that they hate me and they will not speak to me. So he, he can try and get away with that. You know, I still try and do the right yeah. thing and I'll message in the co-parenting app and I'll message and try and fill in the information, but I don't I don't get the same courtesy. He knows that they hate me, so it's quite mm-hmm. easy for him to try and play us off against one another. But I also know what his father's like so I can tell when my son's lying. Yeah. Whereas at least for the older boys, my my husband can pick up the phone and call Karen if he needs to, but she still has that high conflict with a lot of things like it's let's do it my way and it doesn't matter how many times he says to her you know you need to make sure big j's getting to homework club he's going to fail school like he's in grade seven which is the beginning of high school here in australia he's going to continue failing if you're not making sure he's doing his homework and he's not going to tutoring you know you need to do better and she goes oh well sometimes work gets in the way you want to tell us that we need to prioritize the kids over our work how about you do that so right. it's crazy. All right. The next listener question is, can you talk about stepmoms who have had to get restraining orders against high conflict bio moms? I have no experience in this, so I can't really comment. I also have no experience in this. I think it would be absolutely awful to get there though. I mean, I just can't imagine uh, being in a situation where where you had to do that. You know, I think definitely in that case, there should be, here's me having no experience, but going ahead, I'm going to go ahead and give some advice. Definitely therapists should be involved because that is for sure something that the kids are going to notice. I mean, even if it's just for transitions and having to, you know, this parent can be there and that parent can't be there. That's really, I mean, that is terrible. And I mean, I, I'm thankful that I don't have the experience in it. So not a very helpful answer, but oh gosh, I mean, I suppose as with everything in, in the blended family is trying to keep the kids healthy mentally and away from the, the mudslinging, you know, yeah. as much as you possibly can. And put the kids into therapy whenever anything like that happens. Like I, I haven't had to get a restraining order against my son's father, but there's been times where I've mm-hmm. almost gone ahead and done it, but you know, with mediation yeah. and stuff, we've been able to limit him showing up to my house. So he's not allowed to show up to my house unannounced anymore. We do all our transitions mm-hmm. at a local Macca's. For clarification, yeah. that's McDonald's. I did not know that. I was like, what's Macca's? i call it that from now on. <laughs> so, yeah, we meet in a Macca's car park where there's security cameras and neither of us get out of the car. Big K gets himself out of one car, walks to the other car, and he's picked up on the change. But that's also only limited to school holidays. So I try to reduce the amount of transitions over school holidays so that it's happening less. <laughs> like our Christmas break is six weeks. So Big K will be with me for two weeks. And then we'll have an awkward changeover on Christmas Day, which will be at my yeah. house. Um, but basically Big K will walk out of the house at 12 o'clock and wait on the driveway for his father, get in his father's car. Then he'll be with his father for three weeks and then we'll change over at Macca's for him to come home to me. So it's limiting yeah. the amount of transitions so the kids aren't having to do it every other week. Yeah. I feel, oh gosh, I mean, we haven't had restraining orders. We've had, the bio mom has had some time in jail. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, it's like just, just this thing I repeat in my sleep now to the kids is that your bio mom loves you as best as she can. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't look like the same love that your dad shows. It doesn't look like the same love that I show, but it is the best that she can. Um, and I don't know if that's a helpful like phrase for somebody to hear. Not everybody loves the way that we want to be loved. And not, and certainly not everyone shows love in the same way we do as individuals. But, you know, trying to give them the benefit of the doubt of, you know, you're right, you really effed up, but at least you know, maybe that's literally just the best they can do. Yeah, right. And that's something that my son's therapist had said to me, you know, the fact that his father doesn't call him, that's him doing the best he can do. And even little Jay's therapist has said something similar to me, like, you know, Karen's doing the best that she can, the best she knows how, even though to me, it looks like she's not coping. Karen thinks she's coping. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yeah. You know, And it is helpful advice because you don't want to do what I did. There was a big incident with my son's father and I can't even remember what it was now, but something happened and, you know, he, he did something to hurt me, but it let big K down. And I turned around he's like, why does my dad do this? And I said, because he hates me more than he loves you. And I really shouldn't have said it, but the, the emotion and the feelings 
and it came out of my mouth before I knew what I was saying. Yeah. And that's happened. I mean, that is, yeah. And you're still kicking yourself for it. Absolutely. Because it, that happens, you know, we, we say, we say, gosh, how many times we sit in the, in the car at a stoplight having conversations over in our head and how you wished you had gone a different direction, but it's, yeah, you can't keep beating yourself up. I'm I'm just lucky. You're doing the best you can. Big K is the most, I don't don't know how to, he's like an old soul. Like, I don't know how to put it. He's an old Mm -hmm. soul. Like he is very articulate with his words. He's very articulate with his feelings. It's like when he was um, diagnosed with ADHD and he, it's inattentive ADHD. And he explained to me and the pediatrician that it feels like he's, he said, you know how in winter and it's just all foggy and you can't see in front of you. He said, that's what my brain's like. And he's like, I want the Mm -hmm. fog to disappear. And then when he first started um, medication for his ADHD, he goes, wow, mum." the fog disappeared so quickly today. He's like, I could see so clear. And so he's very articulate with and in tune with what's going on. So Mm -hmm. I'm able to have those conversations with him and go, look, mate, I'm really sorry. Your dad does love you. He does love you the best he can. And I shouldn't be projecting my emotions onto you. And I'm really sorry that I did. And mom had a moment of weakness and it's because he's hurting me by hurting you. And I'm sorry because it's wrong. Yeah. And I, you know, I think one of the things that we need to do as parents and step-parents is do better than what our parents did and have those hard conversations with our children the best that we can. You know, I agree. It's like apologizing to the kids after you yell at them when you've absolutely just lost your shit because something's not going right. It's like, well, hang on. I overreacted. Our parents never would have done that. They would have just let it never. be. But we need we need to do better, right? We need to explain the kids that, you know, I was dysregulated and I was inappropriate and I shouldn't have reacted that way and I'm sorry and I'm sorry you were scared or I'm sorry that I upset you to let the kids know that, you know, they, they need to know what love really is and they need to understand that we're not perfect, but they also need to understand that the constant yelling and anger and then being ignored that a lot of us would have got when we were kids isn't isn't the right kind of love that they need to be shown to grow up to be respectful young humans. Right. So, And I think that's one of the most important things through, all, I mean, stepmomming aside is that our kids need to know that we are humans, that we do have feelings and that those feelings can be hurt and, and it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to get upset, you know, but you can work through it together. Absolutely. We got a little bit sidetracked there, but this has been an insightful conversation and I want to thank you again for joining me. Like I said before, I think I said it before we were recording, we have to have you back on because Lauren wants to talk to you about childless stepmumming. But can you tell my listeners where they can find you and where they can find your book, What to Expect When You Weren't Expecting? Sure. Uh, the book is on Amazon. That's probably the easiest way for everyone to get it. Although, you know, not knowing if you have these stores, we it's also on Barnes & Noble online. It's also on Target, all the online shops. And you can learn more about me. I have a website at jillbarlow.com, which is, I spell Jill with a Y. I'm a little bit weird. (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah, I do. I actually write a weekly blog, which is mostly about my family, much to their dismay. Um, I write a lot about my family. I write about traveling. I write about my life as a collegiate athlete. So would love to see some visitors there as well and um, stop on by. I read one of your most recent blog posts about your son and the incident with the garage door. Yes. <laughs> Kids, yes. Right? Who'd have well, Our new garage door is not coming, but he's just doing the best he can, isn't he there, Tony? Yeah. Yes. My son, who is just recently 18, is having his first first love mm-hmm. and it is adorable except his he's got that fog the fog that that your son talked about my son is at, has it now and it's all related to a girl and he got up one day and was just so excited to go pick up breakfast for that he backed right into the garage door on his way out so I just I'm thankful that both actually both of my children have had their first accidents in our driveway oh so the, the other one took out a, a little a little tree <laughs> <laughs> don't ride with my kids <laughs> If you ever come visit me. (laughs) There's a saying here in Australia, so I don't know if you have it in America, but it's whenever a child gets their learner's permit, you tell everyone to stop walking on the footpath and start walking on the road. Exactly. Stay off the sidewalks. That's what we say here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He's been driving for a year and a half, so I don't know. I don't know what happened, but our new garage door will be here sometime in January. Also, <laughs> you don't different. even get it for Christmas. You get it after Christmas. No, 
I'm exposed. Oh, that's annoying. <laughs> and I live in the woods. So I'm like, I know I'm just going to open up the garage one day and there's going to be a pack of raccoons hanging out there. Oh, God. If that happens, you need to get a video and send it to me because that would be hilarious. As long as it's not a bear, that would be scary. No, I have not seen. We do have bears around here. We have a lot of deer. We have raccoons. Uh, when I moved here, I moved from the city of Raleigh in North Carolina. And I was a city girl who got up in the morning and walked to get my coffee. And I moved here in Virginia and I'm in the middle of the woods. And I'm I'm like, am I a pioneer now? I mean, is this my life? Am I going to learn how to make bread soon? And, and 10 years later, I would never go back to the city. That's so funny. My husband grew up on the Gold Coast. So sort of like city, but city by the beach. And mm-hmm. where we live now is classified as it's a rural area that's being developed for suburbia. So we're like a new mm. satellite city, but we're still surrounded by a lot of bush. So we have lots of snakes and koalas and kangaroos. And, you know, we've seen some foxes and some rabbits and a few wild dogs. And yeah, he's just like, oh my God, there's so many. Well, animals. you know, the, the rest of the world says about um, it's like everything in Australia is trying to kill you. Yeah, it is. It is like, especially the brown snakes. The nope. Drop, I love teasing people about drop bears, but you know, and I told Laura and I said, you do realize what drop bears are? And she goes, yeah, they're koalas. You told me that. I was like, oh, okay. So, but they're really kind of gentle creatures. They're all stoned and they all have chlamydia. So. Yeah. Oh, well, sounds like a, sounds like a sorority girl. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Kidding. Just kidding, sorority girls. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode. Share your thoughts on social media by following us at Raising His Kids or using the hashtag Raising His Kids Podcast. Don't forget to join our free Facebook group. Lauren will be back with us in the next episode. If you loved Jill, please go look for her. I also added her book to my Amazon store, which you can find in the link of my bio. So until then, keep navigating the roller coaster and beautiful chaos of blended family life. Bye. Bye. Thank you.